It's a prayer that you would come soon. And in that anticipation, Lord, for your second coming, for that time when you will come to take those who have trusted you as Savior back to be with you, as we wait expectantly for that moment, in many ways our hearts can resonate with the hearts of those who are waiting for your first advent. When they were crying, I believe the same thing, come, come Messiah, come. God, you are faithful. And so God, we wait with eager anticipation for the fulfillment of your absolute and sure promise. And we trust you. God's people said, amen, amen. I encourage you to be seated. And as you are, release the children through grade four. Grateful to be able to do that for each one who serves in that ministry. We're so grateful for them and thankful for them. And in the while, we're going to turn and we're going to be in several places in Scripture. But we're going to start with that amazing passage that, um, that David read for us a little earlier. We've, we've lit the candles, and, and they're all lit with the, with the exception of the, the Christ candle, which Christmas Eve will light that, and, and the anticipation, so to speak, will be complete. But the Advent, and we've been looking at this this year, and we started with love, and then we looked at hope, and then peace, and today joy, and considered what it was like for that group of people who were alive at the time of the first advent of Christ, the the first revelation of him, and as he came and as he fulfilled so many of the promises of the Old Testament. And then we joined this side of the cross, looking forward to the completion of the fulfillment of the promises, absolutely certain that there is a point in time where God will fulfill every promise he's made to Israel and by his grace to us as the church as well. So we look at this fourth candle of the Advent, waiting for joy. And the the verse there from Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. And I love that. There's, There's the angel comes and he says, I bring you good news of great joy. It's not good news of mediocre joy or good news of temporary joy or good news of kind of good joy or good news that, you know, will make you happy for me. No, it's good news of great joy. And I love that. And, and I love being on this side of the cross, being able to look back and see exactly what the angel was talking about. I'm not sure the shepherds grabbed onto that. We're told they were, uh, they were watching their flocks when this, when this occurred, that the angel appeared to them. Karen and I were talking yesterday because she was teaching uh, children's church last night. And she said, what do angels look like? You know? And, and even as I asked that question, probably each one of you had a visual that came in your mind, right? How many of you thought of Clarence? <laughs> How many of you know who Clarence is? All right, good. It's a wonderful life. All right, so as you think about that, a visual comes to your mind of what does an angel look like? 
And we're told some things in Scripture. We're told that, that the seraphim are like little flames that, that are all around the throne of the Lord and the cherubim. And, and we're given descriptions of angels, and we try to imagine what that looks like, you know, like with all the faces and everything else and the wings. And, but we're also told that it's possible that we can entertain angels and not even be aware of it. So apparently it's possible that there are angels that look like Clarence. And you've stumbled onto them perhaps along the way. You've bumped into them. People that you met one moment and never met again, but they touched your life in a special way. But this particular angel that came to the, to the shepherds, we're not told who he was. We are told that, that the angel that God sent to announce to Zechariah and to to Mary and Joseph was Gabriel, and I believe it may have been Gabriel who came to speak to the shepherds as well. And this angel, this messenger of God, appeared. And it brought fear to the shepherds because the glory of the Lord shone around him. And he declared that today, in the city of David, a savior has been born to you. This is good news of great joy. And they went to see, and it was a wonderful thing. And they experienced the joy of that first Christmas. Today, as we consider joy, we think of the idea, the big idea, that the great joy of Christmas is the joy of a lifetime. It's the, the joy of a lifetime. I read a book by D.L. Moody called Pleasure and Profit in Bible Study. And um, in that, he suggests that one of the ways to study Scripture, to, to really understand the depth of it, is to, to put a different filter in place. My words, not his. But take your Bible and, and consider the love of God and read Scripture through the eyes of, of looking for the love of God to be revealed. Then when you've, when you've exhausted that, take, take an idea and look at the forgiveness of God and read scripture through those lenses. And as you do that, verses that you've read before will come off the page differently for you. As you see that that verse really does speak of the love of God, that verse really speaks of the forgiveness of God, perhaps in ways you've never noticed before. This year, as, as we've gone through the, the candles of Advent, I've been doing that with scripture. And, and as I did that with joy in mind and, and read through the scriptures with just thinking about joy, it's, it's amazing how then the verses that speak about joy begin to jump off the page to you. And as I did that, it, it brought me to this idea of, of joy for a lifetime because I took a look at John the Baptist and the example of his life. And so I'd like to do that with you today. Take a look at the life of John the Baptist and see how joy permeated his life from the womb until his death and beyond, of course. And so we're going to start out in Luke chapter 1, verse 44, but it's this idea that the coming of Jesus brings great joy. That's the, the, first, the first idea that we'll look at is that the coming of Jesus brings great joy. 
Now, as we think about John the Baptist, he's, he's in each one of the accounts of the Christmas, uh, the first Christmas, as it's unfolded. And when we look at Luke chapter 1, we, we recognize that Zechariah was a priest, and he was called to move into the, the temple to light the incense. And, and, and as he was in there, an angel of the Lord Luke chapter 1, verse 11, appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled, understandably, because no one was supposed to be in there with him, and he was startled and, and, and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth, or or even from the womb, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Many of the people of Israel, he will bring back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said, how how can that be? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. As we we look at this and and we see this, we see the angel comes in and speaks to Zechariah. And he says, the Lord has heard your prayer. The the Lord has heard your prayer. You can imagine as Zechariah was there and he heard that, he wondered which prayer, which prayer has, has, has the Lord heard? And then when he said, it's this prayer, and it's like, wow, that's like a, a 60-year-old prayer. Do you have a prayer that you've been praying for a long time? Is there a a prayer that you've been offering in your heart and it's a prayer that you've been praying for a long time? Prayer for a child who's wandered away. Maybe you came to know the Lord and your parents don't know the Lord and you've been praying that your parents would come to know the Lord. Maybe there's a a relationship situation that's been damaged and you've been praying for God to bring healing to that? Is there a prayer that you've been praying for a long time? Could I say to you that God has heard your prayer? Amen. The Lord has heard your prayer. What we have to be careful of is that we don't design the answer to the prayer. You know, we offer up the prayer, we design the answer. And when the answer doesn't come the way we designed it, we wonder if God has heard our prayer. I want to tell you, God has heard your prayer. He has heard it. And in his grace and in his sovereignty and in his good time, he will provide the answer that he knows is best for that prayer. And it may not seem to be the answer that's best for you because he's working his purpose in your life. It may not seem like it, but in the end, it will. And I say that's what happened to Zechariah. I got to tell you, if an angel appeared to me and said, you're going to have a child, you know, 
Karen is gonna, I, I'd be like, wow, you know, like, we did that. <laughs> That's not what I'm looking forward to in this season of my life. But see, if that fulfills God's plan the best, man, grab onto that. And that's what Zechariah did. Now, not initially. We understand there was some silence needed as he pondered and contemplated all that he'd been told. But boy, God's fulfillment of Zechariah's prayer impacted all of us. You get that, right? God hears your prayer. And so, John the Baptist is born. And and when he's born, Zechariah, he speaks again. And in that moment, when his mouth was opened, he began to prophesy by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, you, my child, verse 76, will be called a prophet of the Most High, Luke 1. You will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him. All that the angel had told him, he's declaring as truth to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God. Amen. Amen. And John the Baptist would come and he would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And Elizabeth, while she was pregnant, and this is so amazing, while she was pregnant and probably six months long or so, Mary goes to visit her. And Mary goes to visit her, and, and, and there in Luke chapter 1, verse 44. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Hi, Elizabeth. Boom. All right. I've seen it from the outside, never experienced it, okay? But that baby leaped for joy. Why? Because he was filled with the Spirit in the womb powerful. John the Baptist leaped for joy just hearing the voice of Mary as she approached. Wow, think of that. The coming of Jesus brought great joy. So how about for you? Has has the coming of Jesus, does that bring joy for you? Amen. As we, as, we, as we look at this Christmas season, as we consider this, does this bring you joy or, or, wow, you know, I mean, it's like Christmas is four days away. How many of you have your lists still, right? Family's coming over, still got to get to the Walmart. And, you know, I mean, man, it's got, I got these gifts to wrap. I've got these, oh, boy, and these lists are going on. Some of you are making lists right now. You, you know you list makers, and you just make them wherever you are. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, we will squeeze the joy of the coming of Jesus into our lives. Ooh, that's out of order. See, we, we rejoice in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and everything else fits into that. Amen? That's a hard thing to do. I get it. I know that. But man, it's the joy of the Lord. Have you been overwhelmed? Have you leaped for joy at the coming of the Lord? Because listen, the great joy of Christmas is the joy of a lifetime. First, the coming of the Jesus brings great joy. Secondly, 
the great joy can become mine. The great joy can become mine. And we see that again in John the Baptist. In, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist steps into the ministry that it was prophesied that he'd fulfill. And he began, just as Malachi had said, he began to prepare the way for the Lord. And his ministry was to, to bring baptism into the, into the Jewish people. And he brought baptism there and he said, come and be baptized and, and be washed, the ceremonial washing to, to declare that you've repented, to, to, to repent from your sin, to turn from your sin and to prepare your heart, to open your heart, to receive the coming Messiah because the Messiah is coming. I'm here to prepare the way. Come, repent, turn, open your heart, prepare your heart to receive the coming King. And many came. Because the the hand of the Lord was upon him and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And many came and they turned. And and Luke chapter 3 verse 15 says, the people were waiting expectantly. There was this heightened awareness that the Messiah was coming. This long-awaited Jesus. the, The Messiah, the anointed one. And while he had been waited, waiting, while he had been waiting for him, in, the, in God not speaking through a prophet since Malachi and they were waiting and waiting and they were waiting for the messenger who was proclaimed. And when that messenger came on the scene, I believe that anticipation was even more heightened. C.S. Lewis says, Aslan is on the move. And I imagine there was this, this buzz. The Messiah is coming anticipation and the people were waiting expectantly and they were all wondering in their hearts well maybe maybe John is the Messiah maybe John is the Christ maybe he's the one maybe maybe not only is he preparing the way but he is the one because look at what God's doing through him and John said no I baptize you with water but there's one more powerful than me who will come and he will baptize you with the spirit he was careful to say I am not the Christ And then, that day, when he looked, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Once again, he saw Jesus. Did he leap again? Did he go, Whoa, the Lamb of God? I don't know. But the joy that filled him when he looked and he saw, and he said, I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said, Cousin John, you need to do this. We need to fulfill scripture. And so John baptized Jesus. Now you know John did not baptize Jesus because Jesus repented from his sin. No, Jesus is God. No sin in him. Rather, he baptized them to fulfill that which scripture said, that Jesus would step into the ministry that God had prepared for him. And in that moment when Jesus came out of the water and the the dove, the spirit in in the... in the presence of the dove came and rested upon him and the voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the Trinity is visible and God reveals himself. And John the Baptist is there holding Jesus and go, whoa, imagine. Like, wow, right there. And then Jesus starts his ministry. And, and John the Baptist continues his ministry, continuing to tell people, prepare your hearts. The Messiah is here. 
Prepare your hearts. Open your heart. Turn from your sin. Be prepared to receive the, the Messiah. And then there's a point in time we're told in John chapter 3 where, where the disciples of John came to him, chapter 3, in, in verse 26, and they say, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the, of the Jordan, who, the one who test, you testified about, well, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. We're losing the baptism competition. There's a crisis going on here. That man that you prophesied about, he's baptizing more people than, than you are. And John the Baptist reveals something incredibly powerful. When he gives their answer, he says, a man can receive only what is given to him from heaven you yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. I must, or he must become greater and I must become less. I love that, that he uses this bridegroom illustration. And we understand at this point in time, John is quite definitely talking about the Jewish nation and how, how God had betrothed himself to this nation of Israel. Weddings were a little different then than they are now. But I love one of the, one of the highlights of what I get to do is to wait down here with a groom, a bridegroom, and we wait. And the wedding coordinators are very careful to hide the brides until that moment in time when the, the music changes and everybody else is brought in and then the bride comes and she bursts through the doors and makes her way down the aisle. And the look on the bridegroom's face is amazing as he sees his bride for the first time. And, and somebody walks her down the aisle and then hands her to him and he's filled with joy. And the person who handed him off, handed her off, is filled with joy. It's a beautiful illustration. I have yet to stand here with a bridegroom who sees his bride come in and goes, Oh, she must have been a little rushed this morning. <laughs> Didn't quite get herself all put together. And, and I have yet to stand here and say, really, it's the best you could do? I mean, this <laughs> is great joy because that bride has been prepared for this bridegroom. You get that? And there's this beautiful thing that happens at that moment in time. As, as, as that transaction happens and the joy is complete, for that moment. Now we understand that marriage ceremonies were a little different and, and especially in the region here of Galilee where, where, where John the Baptist is teaching and, and we see that he, he he's gets this though. He's the friend who attends to the bridegroom. He waits and, and the, the friend would have made all the preparations and the bride would have come to the bridegroom's house and then the bridegroom would have come and the friend would have then, with all the preparations made, handed that bride to the bridegroom. 
And then he would have seen that joy and he would have been, wow, my joy is complete. And John the Baptist says, that's what it's like for me. I have seen the bridegroom. It is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I leaped for joy in my mother's womb when I saw him and now my joy is complete. It's filled. It's, it couldn't be any more than it is because I've seen that the bridegroom has come for his bride at long last. Anticipation has become reality. And so, John shows us that the great joy of Christmas can become ours. Has that great joy of Christmas become yours? Have you seen Jesus as the one who has come to claim you as his bride? Have you received him in that way and seen that he has then accepted you? And then John says he must become greater, I must become less. Listen, this isn't now I have to become, or he has to become greater. No, this is like, I'm so overwhelmed with this, He's great. And it's like there's, it's the natural outpouring of me understanding the joy of the Lord that's come into my life. It's just naturally an outpouring that he becomes greater and I become less. Because listen, when I, when I wrap my story all around me, man, the selfishness and the longing and the desire and the anxiety and the fears and everything else that wrapped around my story. But when I wrap my story around God, Oh, man, when he becomes greater in my life, then the things that happen to me are in his hands. And I experience the joy that he has designed for me to have, and that joy is complete. Because the the great joy of Christmas is the joy of a lifetime. The coming of Jesus brings great great joy. That joy can become mine, and that great joy sustains me. The final thing we see in the life of John the Baptist is that the great joy sustains me. We were talking this week in our staff devotion time. And we asked the question, what does joy look like? What does joy look like? And so we talked about it. And, you know, as I look out and I'm trying to determine what joy looks like, I see, okay, you look joyful, um, you, not so much. And yeah, you look joyful. And uh, okay, I guess now you're joyful, but before you weren't. You know, right? Okay. What does joy look like? And so many times we, we judge that on the outward appearance. But I think what we see in this final example of John's life that's here for you in Matthew chapter 11, it's in your notes, or you can look at it in your copy of God's Word. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? See, there came a moment in time when when John had prophesied against Herod the king and said, listen, you having your brother's wife is wrong. And he accused him of some other things, all of which were true. And so he got thrown into prison. Because that's what happens when you talk about the king that way. And I would imagine he got thrown into some of the darkest parts of the prison. And so in those parts of the prison, he sent his disciples and he said, would you go ask Jesus, are you the one? Is it true 
It felt like it. I leapt for joy. I, I, I saw you. I saw you were the Lamb of God. I, I saw the Holy Spirit come on you. I heard the voice from heaven. I, I've, are you? Is it real? Is it true? I remember when my mom stepped into glory. A couple of weeks later, I was with my dad. He said to me, he said, what if it's not true? What if, what if it's not real? What, what if mom's not alive? What if we're hoping in something that isn't real? And I remember saying to him, Dad, I, I get the question. I remember the morning that we were preparing to have mom's service as I sat with my scripture and thought of the things that I would say. As I wept, I asked myself the same questions. What if this isn't true? See, I had, I had been at, at other services, and I, but this was my mom. What if, what if mom's gone? What if, what if this isn't real? John sent word to Jesus. Is it real? And Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Couldn't he have just said yes? Here's the deal. A yes answer would not have sustained John. What John needed to hear was the truth of the word of God. What John needed to hear was that the promise of God was a promise that could be trusted and a promise that could be understood and a promise that could hold him in one of the worst times of his life. And so he took him back to Isaiah 61 and he, he declared that, yes, all that was prophesied about the Messiah, I am, but he stopped short he stopped when it came to the part of the Messiah that would be revealed at the second advent of Christ. You'll know that in the Old Testament as the prophets looked forward, they looked forward in time and they saw what, what would happen from the Messiah, but in, they couldn't understand that there were two advents of the Messiah. Looking back now, we understand that. And, and Jesus was declaring to John the Baptist, the first part has been fulfilled. And in that, you can trust that the second part will be fulfilled. May not be in your timing, may not be in your understanding, but I am the Messiah. And on that morning when I wondered, is it true? I thought about what I know about God. And I know that my Redeemer lives. And I know that I will see him in the flesh. I will see my Redeemer. 
I know that there's a God, and I know that he created me, and I know that he shaped me and knit me together in my mother's womb. And I am absolutely certain that Jesus came and was born as a baby and lived a perfect life and died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day and that he has absolutely gained victory over death and that he has ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of the Father and he is preparing a place for everyone who has trusted in him and that I will see him again one day and he will take me to my mom and I will see her again one day and I'm absolutely certain of that. Amen? And that makes my joy complete. Amen. Do you doubt? Are you in a place right now where you doubt God? Jesus prayed a beatitude over John the Baptist. He said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Jesus came in a most peculiar way. He came in a way that was hard for the people to understand. And for some, it caused them to fall away. But not for John the Baptist. He goes on to say that John the Baptist was, among women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist a man filled with the joy of the Lord. Do you have doubts? Listen, if you have doubts, you, you go to this word and you find out that God is who he says he is. That he is absolutely who he says he is. And his nature and his character do not change. And he holds you. And your joy can be absolutely, absolutely secure and complete. So what does joy look like? Joy is learning to be filled with the presence and the promise of the Lord. To be filled with that in your life in such a way that regardless of your circumstance, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So sometimes the joy of the Lord looks like a belly laugh for me. Charlie and Trish will get me going and and I'll get, I'll get going and I'll be laughing and, and it'll be, it takes my breath away. And that's sometimes what joy looks like. But sometimes, as with Bonnie Smith, whose life we celebrated yesterday, and as I sit in her room with Charlie, her husband of 66 years, and as we pray together, knowing that she's, stepping into eternity, that joy looks like tears and sadness. And there's times that joy looks like pain and there's times that it looks like anxiety and there's times that it looks like... But the joy inside, I bring you good news of great joy. God, thank you. Thank you, I praise you for Jesus. I praise you that we can be absolutely certain of his presence in our lives and that his presence is the joy of a lifetime and beyond. And that I can be absolutely certain that my mother is more alive today than she ever has been, as is my dad and as is every person who has ever claimed you and trusted you as Savior. 
God, you are faithful to every one of your promises. So for us this Christmas, help us to be filled with joy and help our joy to be complete regardless of our circumstances so that we can proclaim to a world who desperately needs to know this good news of great joy. Help us proclaim it for your glory. And I pray this boldly, I say, in the name of Jesus, amen.